Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode, we talk about the 21st film into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is Brie Larson's Captain Marvel. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey everybody, welcome in to episode 185 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with Nick Cheney. Hey! And Toussaint Egan, not able to be with us for this episode. We miss you! We do. We do. We definitely do. That voice you hear, though, is a guest that we're having on this episode, and that is Dan Brooks, joining us. Long-time listener, first-time caller, uh, which I say every time when I'm on every podcast now, and it's like a good luck thing. I have to do it every time. Okay, good. Yeah, so it's not really true anymore. I like the idea that you're doing other podcasts and not just ours. Yeah, what the hell? I've been seeing other podcasts, guys. Um, That's okay. We, we agreed, There's lots to choose from. Well, so. we agreed we could see other podcasts. We, this is an Did open, we? This is I an was open drunk. relationship. <laughs> I, we have, yeah, but no, I, uh, well, and you know what I did was I did one that was remote, like you said, where, um, one of us was in Washington, D.C., I was here, ah. and then the, uh, host and creator, he was in Indiana. Well, phone sex doesn't count. Well, it's more like Skype sex, but yeah, oh, yeah. but it was on Facebook, so. No. Here is like, if you say something I disagree with, I can slap you across the face. Well, it, and that kind of intimacy is important. Just real quick, True. too, if you just yes. want to like tilt the microphone up just a little bit. Jeez. This, oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. That much just like yeah, that. That's the, yes, that's sir. Fine. Okay. Please continue. Uh, but yeah, uh, it's true. I, I got to tell you, um, visual cues when you're in person are a lot. I mean, you guys were talking about this when I came in. But honestly, doing a podcast in person, I do think there you can tell the difference. I'm not saying that like the other ones are bad. Mm-hmm. But like, there's something about those visual cues. Like somebody's like, "Oh, I want to say something," and the other person goes, "Okay, I better wrap it up." And you know, yeah, no, it. I'm with you in the sense that like considering our podcast is very amateurish, and I don't mean that as a pejorative, but just you mm-hmm. know, we're three random dudes friends. who, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> who who decided they wanted to do this. Like that is one of our saving graces because unfortunately, in this cultural landscape, that's a very rare thing mm-hmm. where people get to go and actually meet up because usually people meet on the internet because that's how, uh, you know, it, that's how people mostly crowdsource their interests, so to speak, to for sure. shared. Which is under, I, I do the same thing, sure. Uh, but the fact that three of us in real life got to meet each other and well the other the other real benefit is is the fact that we get to hang out like That's just like, and like it, it's not just i'm going to record a podcast tonight and it's almost like doing homework like oh, right. Right. going to hang out with my friends mm-hmm. and we're also going to talk about movies hell and yeah yeah make, i like get a podcast package. episode out yeah. of it so yeah. i pretty much tell people that this is my version of a poker night yeah, you know, like that's pretty it, good. On the one hand, it's like we're doing this. On the other hand, we're kind of just using it as an excuse. Sure. So I mean, yeah. there's there's mm-hmm. there's there's multiple things happening here. Absolutely. So, yeah. I concur. So, anyways, Dan, great to have you back. Uh, you. We talked about Army of Shadows when you were on uh, the last time, which was last year somewhere yeah, in the summer ish. Uh, yeah, I was yeah. gonna say August, maybe. Sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, 
definitely a different kind of film uh, mm-hmm. that we're talking about, which we are still on a really good streak of doing Marvel films on this, <laughs> mm-hmm. which uh, I will say I'm probably the driving force of. Although we do talk about a lot of popular films, and these have become really important. I mean, if you're going to cover cultural trends and current film, like, are you not going to talk about them? You know, it's yeah. just kind of. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> they loom pretty large. I mean, it'd be tough to not talk about the Avengers films or whatever. You... Um, and uh, that's one, one of the things that I'm excited to talk about this film about is that there were a lot of trolls floating around the internet trying to bring this film down. Yeah, I was um, that. Much in the same Settle kind down, of way. Settle down, boys. <laughs> much in the same kind of way uh, that happened with the uh, female-casted Ghostbusters mm-hmm. film a couple years ago. Well, but the good news is uh, justice has been served, yes. and Jason Reitman will be giving Ghostbusters back to the fans. Oh, really? That's his soundbite that he said. <laughs> He said, uh, we're giving the franchise back to the fans. Wow. And I don't think he genuinely did mean that to sound exactly what that sounds like. Right. But he said it. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, 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 and the internet say, took him to task. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm horrified that it's going to be like Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray in a version of the Tim Allen film Wild Hogs. Ooh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I thought so, about that movie the other day. That's too bad. I saw I, that in theaters. Yeah. <laughs> Did you? I did, yeah. Isn't Martin Lawrence in that? He is. I, I and William that. H. Macy, I, who is unfortunately just, uh, not, not, under a well, lot of scrutiny well, right mm, now. Nothing, nothing. William well, H. Macy plays William H. Macy in real life. Nothing. Well, maybe not nothing, but this will not diminish my love for W.H. Macy or Felicity Huffman. No, I mean, it's. I, most people said it correctly, which is that this is the fun celebrity scandal. This mm-hmm. is the one where we all get to make fun of it because it's so fucking stupid, mm-hmm. and it does tell us something about the seedier side of the rich, and yet, mm-hmm. we don't end up hating everybody involved because it's just so fucking something stupid. Something that I... And yeah. the, boy, this is... It's not a Bill Cosby. This discussion is no. going to be super dated for anybody eh. who listens at any time later Now, we're gonna on. get this yeah. uh, episode uh-huh. up. Speaking of... No, no, it's not, it's not even that. <laughs> if somebody were to come back and listen to this two years later, and we're talking about... Oh, oh, yeah. The scandal of and paying money for children to go to a school? And speaking of, it happened. St. Patrick's Day is coming. So. Oh, snap. <laughs> didn't you say last time you had this thing about Phil Harmon on news radio where he was always trying to get this like one dated reference? Oh, all the time? yes. And it that's was true. really clunky, yeah. but it was hilarious. Yeah. Yep. So that's my holiday <laughs> you know, clunky. So getting, getting away from Ghostbusters right. and also from the uh, current scandal that's happening Whoa, sure. we're getting away from that yeah well actually yeah you were talking about the trolls and, and yeah uh, i just learned about it today so i would like to actually no uh the say. biggest thing though is that just like the last jedi did mm-hmm. it's kind of just scooted all that to the side as captain marvel had a humongous opening weekend and mm-hmm. seems like it's going to continue not at the same pace but we'll it will be crossing the billion dollar mark at some point yeah. worldwide um and for a March release for a non-Avengers film, um, especially a film that's not Avengers film, like as in non the Avengers. It's, it's okay. not a it's not a Avengers film. It's not make sure. Civil War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like it's it doesn't mean, have the whole. This game is together. a solo character outing. It is, I and mean, it's a uh, brand others, new. But... Essentially, um, I mean, other than Nick Fury, there's nobody in it. Uh, I'm going to count Coulson, I guess. But, but, but he's people, still, first of all, he was only there by CGI. Him. 
Did he actually show up to actually film oh, any of that? He's like, yeah, I trust you guys. I you feel like it. somebody stood there with green linen over their face, <laughs> and they put <laughs> they put uh, Clark Gregg in there in post. Like that freaking guy. In, did you ever see Holy Motors? Yes, yeah, exactly. Where the like guy's that. like, he's yeah, it's yes. just that full body, yeah, mm-hmm. tennis balls, everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Captain Marvel. But for c- anyone out there who doesn't know, I'm going to give a little description of this so we can actually start talking about the actual film. Go ahead. Right. As as we we do this, uh, get off on tangents. Uh, Captain Marvel centers around Carol Danvers as she becomes one of the universe's most powerful heroes, as Earth is caught in the middle of a galactic war between two alien races. Not terrible. I've heard worse descriptions. Yeah. yeah. The film is directed by Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck who, for those of you counting at home, previously directed the film Mississippi Grind, Mm -hmm. which uh, is a nice little independent film. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen that, but I did see their uh, debut, which was uh, Half Nelson. I was going to say most people have also praised that. Mm -hmm. That's great. Really good. That was what really put... I was like, oh, who's that Gosling fellow? You know, like, honestly, it's a really good performance. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Supergrind, though, uh, features a pretty solid performance by Ben Mendelsohn Mm -hmm. and also Ryan Reynolds. So... But this film uh, does not star Ryan Reynolds. It does have Ben Mendelsohn playing the villain again, sort of. Kind of. Bum, bum, bum. Is he? Yeah. We just don't know. <laughs> in, in addition to Ben Mendelsohn, obviously we have Brie Larson here mm-hmm. as Captain Marvel or Carol Danvers. Or <laughs> in Justin addition Peters. to Ben Mendelsohn, we have well, we, the we have. marquee <laughs> leading lady. So yeah. Ben Mendelsohn and also, you know, freaking Brie Larson, same old we, I feel like we did this gag uh, when we did an episode on Wonder Woman. We talked about the men first before we talked about uh, her. I think we may have, but I definitely also remember in our episode for Black Panther mm-hmm. that I just kept saying that it was Black Panther starring Martin, Martin Freeman. Oh, that was it. That was I was it. That's what, that's just going to yep. mention that because yes. you were going on about, well, if he found Thor's hammer, what was it? If he got Thor's hammer, could he, you know, and I was, yeah. yeah, it's... So I, it's hilarious. I would recommend anyone who hasn't listened to it to check out that oh, episode. This is why we have you on. No, thanks. That's I'm great. your hype man. I was going <laughs> to say, that's great when you're when you're advertising your own podcast that's on right. your podcast. Well, I'm a that's guest, right. so I can say this is somewhat yeah. of a detached observer. Tag team yeah. back again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so in addition to Ben Mendelsohn <laughs> and Brie Larson, Samuel Jackson is here as Nick Fury. And there are also some people who show up that will be recognizable, including Jude Law, mm-hmm. Annette Benning, who apparently her character was supposed to be a man. Not a surprise there. No, it's... Okay, well, I'll, I mean, exp- I'll explain that. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Clark Gregg, as previously mentioned. Mm-hmm. And also, too, a couple uh, appearances from people who showed up in the Guardians film, mm-hmm. uh, which is Juman Hansu and Lee Pace. Lee Pace was a waste of time here. So well, what were you going to yeah. say about Annette Benning's character? Because okay. clearly I was misinformed. Well, I don't know about misinformed because I don't know exactly what happened in the production of the movie. Okay. But specifically, Annette Benning is just a gender bender version of Captain Marvel, the original Captain Marvel, right. who's Walt Lawson. Um, and I think part of it is that this movie was kind of shrouded in secrecy. I'm not talking like super secrecy or whatever, but when the initial reports of this film, I believe Marvel let certain rumors be kind of like concrete. So that way people wouldn't, because most people thought that Jude Law would be playing Walt Lawson, uh, mm-hmm. Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it turns out that the twist is that he's playing Yon Rog. And I was trying to remember, this is a genuine question if anyone remembers, does he ever say his name in the first half of the movie? Because if you know that that's his name, 
anyone who's familiar with the lore of Captain Marvel would know that that is the evil uh, Kree that comes to Earth and not only fights Captain Marvel but also turns uh, Carol Danvers into at the time Miss Marvel. Um, so that so would have given away. My a, guess is he uh, doesn't. I was going to say because I kept trying to listen for it, but I also know that I'm hard of hearing, so I could have missed sure. it. I thought at some point, like when they were on the train, I thought she did say his name, or maybe the first part of it. Okay, like maybe not the whole, not the whole hyphen. I mean, these kind of movies mix and match you know, comic shit all the time. So it wouldn't have been mm-hmm. some kind of concrete, oh, that's exactly where this is going, especially because they genuinely already, uh, you know, mixed it all up anyway. Mm-hmm. But if they had said his name repeatedly, uh, which I, they definitely didn't, um, it would have been a clear sign that he was going to be the true villain, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. from the very get-go. So anyway, I, I think it was always the intention that behind the scenes that the Annette Benning character was going to be, I think, the idea with this was a feminist film and that mm-hmm. instead of doing a man passing his powers onto a woman, which was the original Carol Danvers mm-hmm. background, uh, they were... Now, do I think Annette Benny was wasted and do I think that that mm-hmm. uh, plot line in and of itself was not as good uh, or as well executed as it could have been? Sure. But I think that was the plan, so to speak. Okay. Anyway, sorry. Good. Uh, a little comic uh, knowledge for you. Speaking of uh, the secrecy, uh, I saw Annette Benning being interviewed and uh, a couple weeks ago. And she said literally they picked her up, like, in a helicopter and flew her to a location. And, like, she knew where the location was, but she literally couldn't tell anyone. So I'm going to assume, like, she couldn't even tell Warren Beatty. She's like, sorry, honey, I'm going to – it could be Martinique. We don't know. You know, and, But she said it's it was like – Good thing she, she didn't tell Warren Beatty. He would have fucking told people at the Academy Awards. Yeah, no, exactly. he would have told people the wrong Yeah, he would have said – the would have been like, they're is. in Canada. Uh, they're <laughs> yeah. in New Zealand, Warren. Right. Oh, shit. <laughs> Guam, New Zealand. What's you know? It's pretty much. I mean, that's the same thing. And that between you <laughs> this and the is Faye Dunaway's fault. <laughs> yeah, uh, forget but, it, Warren. So, but yeah, she said it was amazing. It was like magical. She like showed up, and it was like you know. Of course, people you know were attending to all her clothes, her hair, and everything. And so she was just like it was like fifty days of just like the the cr- craziest, most big budget Hollywood experience you can imagine. You know? Yeah. And that's for a, you know, smaller one of these, too. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. So. Yeah. I think I'll start. Go ahead. Go for it. I love superhero movies. Yeah, you do. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed this one as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Marvel has this weird aura about them that they just, their brand is associated with quality right now for me mm-hmm. in terms of the way their films are churned out. Like, uh, there, there's not many times when I've gone to a Marvel Studios presentation and thought, well, that was amateur. <laughs> like, they, their, their brand right now is a professional storytelling model that even if it does feel at times like it gets a little repetitive, it's going to be a quality product no matter what. Um, and... To various degrees, like they've had some films that, although it falls in line with that, it wasn't as good. Something like Doctor Strange or the first Ant Man. Um, mm-hmm. But I think as time has gone on, they've gotten better at having high quality while at the same time finding a new way to change the way the story is told throughout the film. Mm-hmm. And it's a hard line to follow because you got to figure they're releasing three of these every year. Uh, there's even by choice, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Well, I mean, but at the same time, yes. this is what they're clearly yeah. trying to do, at least on my reading of true, it. True. 
Uh, and I, I think this film just continues in that model of creating this really easy to look at film uh, filled with probably not enough action set pieces, but mm. enough to enjoy. And at least the quality of those action set pieces was pretty solid. And two at the same time, um, this film checked boxes for being a Captain Marvel film in just being that at the same time, I will say probably my biggest critique of this film is it had to be the one that immediately preceded Avengers Endgame. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it just fell in that line of this is the one that people are only going to go see because they want to find out. And at the end of the day, it ended up being exactly what most people assumed it would be, which is the film is going to be its own entity. And then the post-credit scene is just going to be a literal cut and paste from Avengers Endgame of 30 seconds of, oh, here she is. It's not even just that. It's that and the fact that, in my opinion, that mid-credit scene is just reiterating what the last movie, um, not the last movie because I guess the last one was lost, but the um, oh. uh, Infinity, Infinity War. War. Yeah. That post-credit scene was Nick Fury sending the page so it's this one is the page is received and it's just kind of like well she does show mm, I mean, she shouldn't say oh, no you oh, can't oh, oh yeah no absolutely she does show up at the end she's like she bam. does but it was so weirdly edited that i genuinely actually thought it was somebody else because oh. it like cut like you see her for a split second now in my opinion they should have at least lingered like she didn't have to have a line or anything but like the idea that that was like her face, and then like, like no, I, she does say she does say. I mean, where she says one Fury? line, mm -hmm. yeah. but I'm talking like she says that. I think she even says that before the camera turns to her. You oh. just see her face, and then it goes straight to black. And I genuinely got confused for so a second. So you see, here's the only here's the here's what I'll say, is that that connection is using a mid credit scene. It is, I think, just them being so cheap. And that this is this is a company that spends billions of dollars, right, yeah. in Disney, but they're literally just continuously cutting and pasting now from their future films and being like, "Look, we did it." I thought the end credit scene, the post credit scene, I should say, was actually better than the mid credit. Yeah, that's scene. the usual kind of Marvel. Usual, but lately we've humorous. been getting really shitty ones. Where this one, this was a dumb gag wrapped in an actual mythos answer. So, like, true. Okay. But, okay, so, but um, I will say uh, the mid credit scene here does have a lot of similarities, and not in terms of quality, uh, but it does have a lot of similarities to the very end of uh, the first Captain America, mm. where we discover that he's still alive, which everybody knew was true, right. but that he had, you know, been frozen and woke up in this really bizarre that lab like two minute scene wasn't it it was yeah and he runs out in the middle of Times square and yeah. Nick fury comes and finds him mm. and he says he's late for a day because he obviously is not aware that he missed everything yes um and it's a fantastic yeah. final scene um and here this feels that was when they had the leisure to actually let these things be their own entity but they still really do they could like, you could have had a really nice continuation of Captain Marvel coming back from wherever the fuck she's been mm. and 
joining into the Avengers. Like it would have been, and I mentioned this to you, Nick, when we were talking a couple days ago, but if you would have had her somehow catch up with Scott Lang in some capacity in the mid credit scene, or even at the end of this film, you could have at least had some intrigue from the initial trailer. You could have had something from that last film. Like there are so many ways to go about it that are so much more interesting than what they ended up doing, which feels like, ah, we're going to do the laziest thing possible. It seems like the arc is kind of, um, it's at a thin moment. Like it's gonna, like they're, they're kind of saving it all for, you know, eventually. Let's hope so. If they're not. Well, I would be surprised, Uh, but I mean, no, no, I I, wouldn't. uh, (laughs) Well, I wouldn't be surprised that you're not surprised. So, um, we can just do this all day. <laughs> anyway, um, now I haven't seen Ant Man and the Wasp yet, much to my chagrin. Ant Man and the Wasp is solid. I yeah. I loved Ant Man. Enjoyed, and I know it's the same director. It's a uh, Peyton Peyton Reed. Yeah, Peyton Reed. That's right. And um, anyway, I was curious. Now you two have seen it, right? Yes. Now, what was the post? Well, first of all, in that film, are they dealing with a post? People dissolved world. Do you uh, okay? So, do you want me to tell you? Yes and no. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm just curious if okay, so, if it's in that timeline or if it's like, uh, well, this is technically before. Well, okay. So here's here's yeah. here's one of the things that we talked about on that Ant-Man episode. Yeah, yeah I think is, so. is that technically Ant-Man the Wasp is happening at the same time as the events of Infinity War. Oh, nice. By the time the credits are rolling, that's when the snap is happening, so to speak. Nice. So the post-credit scene gets to directly tie into that, and it actually worked great. That was one of the best, I think, uh, credit scene they've ever done. Well, Where it they, was something they... new. Like, I didn't know that that was going to be the scene that happened. And yet something also, shall we say, foretold in that, like, it has to happen. So here's the here's, – and, and here's where Marvel has really failed with their advertising for Endgame, which has been really brief, which is fantastic in my opinion. Absolutely. Um, but where they failed is uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger because technically uh, Ant-Man, Scott Lang, is now trapped being small as they're doing almost like an experiment with him. And then everyone goes into the quantum realm. Everyone who's like there to get him out goes away. But now he's clearly fine in In the the trailer. trailer, So there's 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 no like that shoe's been dropped. They are not at all caring about. No. This rem- they just removing did. the dramatic half because I remember when I saw it in the theater, I actually thought that that was like fucking kind of brutal because I yeah. was just like, oh, that's a really good way to just leave this hanging and whatnot, and it made sense, and I also wasn't seeing that coming, and it that bothers me more than any Spider-Man thing does. Like, mm. I don't care that the person, one of the people who got dusted. Is now has their own trailer. Whether like we knew that that was happening. Like we saw it five years ago on a fucking PowerPoint presentation <laughs> that there would be quote unquote Spider Man Homecoming. But when we go into slightly more granular characters, and we see, you get that he's little. No, anyway, sorry, um, we and we go into that route of like spoiling, not spoiling even, because I don't fucking care about spoilers, but where we care that little about just maintaining a consistent emotional through line Mm -hmm. before we've seen movies, I just, it just makes me feel this whole thing is fucking cheap. I think, I think they're, I think they are dragging their feet a bit on the 
technical small details going into the final film. Hopefully, that just means because they've put so much energy into the final film that it's going to be so fucking fantastic that all this is going to be irrelevant. That's kind of my thought is that, like, they sort of... Don't think that's going to (laughs) happen. That's kind of my thought. No comment. Well, I think that's why it's kind of gotten stretched thin. I mean, they had to do Marvel... Captain Marvel is essentially the only other movie... Well, not the only other, but one of the only other movies they could do. They had to go back to 1995. Because they can't give any information away that's going About to the be present. dealt with in yeah. the next adventures. So they had to do... And then they also wanted to make a, another sort of um, a flagpole you know, character here. And I mean... There, I mean this there, and this it, film uh, checks yeah. a lot of boxes of, of doing this in a fun way. Like mm-hmm. this yeah. moves into the 90s. Mm-hmm. This hits a lot of nostalgic moments. Although I think there probably could have been better, better ones and more yeah, of them. I concur. And um, at the same time, uh, this... This does a really nice job of, of backward storytelling uh, mm-hmm. with Carol Danvers' character as somebody who you know is going to be important, you know is going to be in the next film. Here's how it happened. Mm-hmm. But it also doesn't necessarily feel like... Because when Marvel started, uh, after Iron Man was as big as it was, they were like, we're going to fucking do all these origin stories. Mm-hmm. And people really didn't give a fuck about those. I mean... They the, did for the first four or so, because that made perfect... I thought they did. Like, I remember being in I high school... I don't remember anybody caring about the first Thor. Oh. I, it's not so much... I guess the final product is what was mm. left to be decided, but I remember being in high school and nobody people... Liked, nobody liked Hulk. Well, no. Here's the thing. They butched... I did. They, well, you did. <laughs> I did over they, here. I they did. botched it, so to speak. But mm. I remember being in high school where people were saying, like, I can't believe we're getting yeah. standalone movies. Like, now, that's just commonplace, and it's not a novelty anymore. But I remember people, at least my age at that time, which mm. was, like, 16, mm. freaking the fuck out. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, to end my initial thoughts on this, I thought this was a quite good film that really had a solid villain, a solid little twist in the mm-hmm. middle that wasn't really a twist, but at the same time created uh, doubt amongst the audience, at least for people who do not know the comics. Actually, I was going to say it's a twist for people who do know the comics because the scrolls are usually almost always evil. Like It's rare for any piece of media to actually take that angle. So, Well, the other the other thing about it, which I think is a very interesting storyline aspect of this, and a, a th- another reason why I say that I feel like Marvel is really, their brand is in a class of its own right now, mm-hmm. um, is that I don't necessarily know if they are for sure good people. No, like, I mean, I, they're I, not. I, there are still technically just one half of a war who, and like Ben Mendelsohn's Right, but that's character all, but that's in all, general. But that's all in the eye of the beholder, though. Right? Oh, right, right, right. Because oh, yeah. they, they could still end up, we could find out in Avengers Endgame that, oh, they were all terrible people the whole time. They just fucked with me to get me to help them. I mean, if they go that route, that's kind of cheap. But yeah, in but... a general Marvel standpoint, the Kree-Skrull War has always been like a background war that ends up affecting Earth because yeah. they end up coming to our territory and doing their battle. And really, Avengers and such try not to choose sides so much as right. just protect the population of the planet. Um, but... 
Yeah. I, I, well, I would say I'd be very surprised if they do end up saying that. They're not going to even talk about them. I was going to say. <laughs> but. But, I mean, I would be surprised if they said that that small group of scrolls with, like, the women and children and, you know, Ben Mendelsohn and all that. I'd be surprised if they said, oh, no, they're actually evil. That would be. That would be a reverse on a reverse. That, and that's just kind of. Uh, it would just be really hollow storytelling. I don't think anyone would. It would, would make this it. film suck, in my opinion. Agreed. Yeah. Genuinely. Yeah. Agreed. But that said, the scroll. There's a lot of them, you know. Yeah. I mean, not all humans are good. Am I oh, right. right. You know, so. um, I'll really quickly go into some initial thoughts. I'll mm-hmm. just say that, so this is interesting because this was the first film we're uh, reviewing on this podcast in a post-Nick Reed's comics world. Yes, <laughs> yes. And one of the it's characters. It's development, it's true. I know. I mean, and, only like what, a few months, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, hardcore Reed as far yeah. as like genuinely flipping through issues, it December, maybe. So it's only been about three months or so. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the characters I did actually seek out, mostly because of the movie, but then I stuck with it because I liked it, was Carol Danvers. Um, More uh, probably of the Miss Marvel era, which was her first superhero run-through. And uh, but I did read a lot of Kelly Sue DeConnick's run of uh, infamous, uh, not infamous, famous run, I should say, of mm. turning uh, Carol Danvers into the kind of war bird that she is mm-hmm. as far as being in the military and uh, a flyer and whatnot. And um, I got to say, this movie, as a as a fan of the comics, was a very fun adaptation. It really got uh, – Brie Larson is a dead ringer for Carol, uh, mm. personality and looks, so that mm-hmm. was fantastic, I thought. Except you don't, you don't like that she uh, doesn't love her cat okay. as much. I did have thoughts about that, and I still do, and you actually pointed out something to me that I was actually glad and relieved to hear <laughs> because – I'm sorry, but in her recent comics, because Kelly Sudeconic actually very famously brought her cat back. Like mm. most people had gotten rid of the cat because she had only had it back in the '70s or something. So this is the cat in the hat that came back. That's correct. Right. Okay, got it. So, yes. Uh, and now you know about that. that. <laughs> um, I, it's good reason. <laughs> so, but the cat, uh, I was just annoyed because uh, okay, in this movie. The, uh, shall we say the cat is a character, which is great. It's named Goose instead of Chewie, like it is, because in the comics she's a Star Wars fan, but here to kind of line up with the 80s vibe, mm, it's Goose Gun. after yeah. uh, Top Gun's character. Mm-hmm. And But in this movie, it's supposed to be her cat. I mean, they do actually do say that. And uh, yet, no, they said it's uh, Marvel's cat, right? Or, well, no. Did, no, I thought they said it was her cat. Like, okay. she had this cat before she. No, what, it had no. to be Marvel's cat. Okay, so it was Marvel's cat. It had to be. Okay. I, I think maybe like she ended I mean, up em- like having it. Emotionally, it had to have been. Well, it had because of it ends up being a different species, right? No, no, like um, Captain Carol in the regular comics has that cat. Doesn't know it. A flirk and Evan finds that out in the, one of the more. I'm not exactly 20- sure. I've only seen the film. I only saw it the once. But, yeah, but anyway, I, that's what I a common thing in uh, post 2011 uh, Kelly Sue DeConnick's run of Captain Marvel is that Chewie in the comics, uh, that's her cat. Like, it gives her, besides her, and we don't get to see her really do this in the movie, but besides her onboard uh, AI on her ship, mm. she talks to her cat all the time. And she loves the cat, and it's adorable. Like, literally, there are whole panels that are just made uh, to just so you can awe at a <laughs> adorably drawn cat and whatnot. Nice. And so in this movie, for the cat to be introduced, uh, and then for Captain Marvel or Carol not to, like, like this cat. And I mean, like, genuinely go out of her way to just not want anything to do with this cat. 
it only made sense to me once Alex told me that Brie Larson is like allergic to cats. Oh, and really? to the point where she can't even hold one. That I'm sorry, but I feel vindicated yeah. <laughs> because I thought it was so weird that there was a real life reason for it. So I'm actually okay with the fact that I zeroed in and got very weirdly nitpicky. It didn't affect my view of it. I just thought it was fucking weird. Hey, at least there was but, a realistic reason of yeah. why it was changed. I'm just saying, like that's like a character detail that didn't need to be changed unless <laughs> it needed to be changed. So yeah. anyway, uh, I stand by my initial. Also, too, I will say, uh, as of, in terms of an actual viewership standpoint. Um, it was fun to see Samuel L. Jackson's interaction with a cat. No, like I didn't like dislike what we got. Yeah. I was just like, well, wait, why can't he be adorably into the cat? But also, why is she like literally like, don't touch me? Now I know <laughs> the actress doesn't want to die. Okay, <laughs> so um, she's funny that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I told Alex she's just not committed to her craft. I know, right? Yeah. It's like, come on, you know what I mean? Yeah. What so, happened to the method? <laughs> So I so here's the thing. I kind of split the difference because I pretty much enjoyed this as an adaptation. I thought it got like all the beats right. I really enjoyed the way it incorporated the the Kree Scroll War into this um, mm-hmm. into this uh, current iteration of the Marvel Universe, at least on screen. Um, and I enjoyed most of the turns in this film. I thought Samuel Jackson was fantastic, mm-hmm. getting to finally kind of give Fury some personality outside of his scowling, one-eyed look. Um, and I enjoyed uh, Ben Mendelsohn's uh, turn as the uh, kind of very sympathetic uh, scroll. Or, yeah, scroll. Yeah, yeah scroll. <laughs> Talos? Talos, yeah. Talos yeah. Uh, I will say, and this is a change that's totally fine, but just mm-hmm. as a nerd now, I will say <laughs> that, interestingly enough, um, it's weird that they would choose Talos because Talos is not in a lot of comics, and he very famously showed up one time, uh, not one time, but showed up in a Incredible Hulk comic. I think this was his first appearance, maybe it wasn't, but whatever, where he shows up after, I feel like Hulk got married or something like that. Mm. And so he shows up to Hulk, and he like shows up and basically asks Hulk to like fight him, because he's been dishonored, and so he needs to prove his honor or whatever. Mm. And so he basically wants to commit suicide by fighting Hulk. And Hulk's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. That's kind of fucked up. And mm-hmm. he's like, no, I, I, I can't go back there or whatever. So hmm. the reason why he can't go back there is because actually Talos, the only interesting thing about him in any comic is that he is a scroll who was born without the ability to uh, shapeshift. Ah. So why they just named him Talos but obviously didn't follow through. I, whatever, it didn't bother me. It doesn't take away from the movie. It's just kind of weird. It's like, do, do people get that fucking hard-ons for, like, name recognition? Like, I know that that's the name of an obscure character, so therefore this movie makes me... I don't know. Anyway, it's just a weird whatever. Marvel's got a history of kind of shitty on that kind of stuff, though. I mean, they do. It was just such a weirdly, like, the only thing about him is that it's his name and Ray, so... Like, well, I wonder if it might have been like um, in uh, James Gunn with Guardians of the Galaxy 2 where he's like, oh, really? There's a character named Taserface? This is so stupid. It's so stupid. And so he went out of his way to write right. this character and have all these that jokes. Is, and, I mean, I guess yeah. my only thing is that I would say that I, I guess because of my knowledge of the comics, I was thinking maybe by the end of the movie they were going to write him an origin story and say mm. like he was going to lose his ability to mm. shapeshift by the end of it just as a random. But they never did that, which is totally fine, too, whatever. Um mm. 
I thought it was a fun movie. I actually, it's funny that you used the word earlier, Alex, amateur, about like how you never see that from Marvel. This was like the first one where I actually thought that about this movie, mm. just in production. I thought this was a lot of fun, but I thought, and I know both of you and I kind of commented on the fact that it may have been our theater, but there were problems beyond our theater sound system that I just thought were embedded into the movie okay. um, when it came to certain sound mixing. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold judgment on that until I watch it on my uh, on my home television, which somewhere. I think is fair, and I may reverse this, but. I also think that there's still something to be said about that I thought this was slightly clumsily edited and thrown together. And the sound mixing, even if it was pitch perfect, the needle drops I thought were fucking insufferable because I love those songs and I love that era. Um, but none of this mattered to the character or to the audience because mm-hmm. you could never really actually... It, it was very clear that unlike somebody like James Gunn, these songs were just added in post mm-hmm. when they decided on the song instead of actually scripted and storyboarded to music. Which, right. if you're going to go this far beyond and and choose, I think, good songs and whatnot, like, you should do it that way. Otherwise... I think the inclusion of the specific artists were good. I just think that it kind of was like, eh. Well, yeah. they they went for the, really the the most famous... I mean, it's like, these were singles. I mean, it'd be interesting if they had gone for deeper I cuts, mean, this you know? movie is so laughable, in my opinion, when it comes to music, that in Carol Danvers' vision of the um, great intelligence, sh- why is Come As You Are yeah. playing on vinyl? Yeah. Okay. A, huh. yeah. she shouldn't be yeah. listening to it on vinyl, but mm-hmm. that's whatever. Mm-hmm. B, she People left. People were really into vinyl in the 90s. Yeah, yeah but not till but the B, late. But B, I'm I'm, she, I'm, I'm, she <laughs> left before Nirvana became a huge hit. Why would that song and not an 80s song that she would have grew up with be her song? I mean, it's just so fucking stupid in my opinion. It was just, what are 90s songs? Let's put them here. And... I, I just I found it to be truly insufferable, to be honest. Like, well, I think it was somewhere in between Guardians and something like Suicide Squad. Yeah, I would say uh, Suicide Squad is the ultimate awful. I would say it's the very close to Suicide Squad. Oh, really? While Suicide Squad oh, wow. might be the bottom of the it's, barrel, yeah. I, I think it was very much uh, okay. in that. But I mean, like, Suicide Squad had like stuff where, like, you know, uh, they would, like, you know, Jump, you know, they you know, like uh, kick a door down, and they'd be like, "We should play A 7s you know, and they'd be like, "I'm no, slamming the door." I, it's like, wow, I agree, but any more freaking? I guess why I'm kind of disagreeing with you is at yeah. least the song choices were somewhat relevant to the content of the film, where I feel like Suicide Squad was like, mm-hmm. "Let's play that one song." I agree, which is why I feel like I I see what they were doing post, like in the editing bay, but. They, if you really want those things to land in a in a Guardians universe, because I'm sorry, but that's the gold standard of the MCU when it comes to that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to try a lot harder than that. So, um, in short, I'll just say that I think this film did a lot of things right. I just ultimately thought that the pacing and the kind of timing of the progression of this narrative uh, could have been done better. I am kind of excited to see if any. Uh, seeds that are possibly sowed into this movie take fruit in future uh, MCU installments. Two things mm. in particular. Um, mm-hmm. A, I think there's a at least a 10% chance we are looking at Brie Larson possibly being the leader of the Avengers, uh, Captain Marvel, because A, that's mm-hmm. just a thing that happens in the comics. Like yeah. Captain Marvel is very famously part uh, a leader of the Avengers. And especially with her close relationship to Tony Stark in the comics. Now, 
I don't want them to date in the MCU because that's fucking weird. Mm. But I could kind of see this kind of maybe being the start of the second generation. And I would think it would mean a lot more if it was something like that than if it was like Robert Downey Jr. decides to quit and therefore, uh, I don't know, Mark Ruffalo or somebody just steps up or something stupid like that. Um, well, the other thing is is that you assume that the people or who... Bucky. Or Martin Freeman, you know. You, as, you assume that the biggest people for the next iteration of the Avengers are going to be Black Panther, Spider-Man, and Captain Marvel. And I hope so. Like, I hope that is truly a generational thing as far as, like, this team is now done. Now, obviously, you can have holdovers. And mm-hmm. if Mark Ruffalo wants to stay around and be the Hulk in that team, like, that's totally fine. But it's the DNA makeup of it should be this kind of new fangled team, so to speak. Uh, the other thing that could be fun is the uh, possible uh, future of Monica Rambeau. And in this movie, uh, yes. Maria Rambeau, who is uh, the best friend of Carol, uh, uh, has a daughter, Monica Rambeau. And in the in the comics, Maria was very, uh, not Maria, Monica was very famously the first person, well, one of the first people to take on Captain Marvel's name, Marvel, I should say, mm-hmm. before Carol Danvers did, so that was a nice little slide oh. nod to that. But also, to become her own superhero, like, uh, Photon, which is actually on the plane of Maria Rambo's plane, whatnot. Nice. So hopefully, when we fast forward from the 90s to the current 2019, whatever, timeline, that that gives them credence to actually cast someone who's present day uh, Monica Rambeau, and that's how you can get another character in there. Mm. I think I think an interesting thing about that is um, I think if she ends up being one of the departed uh, mm. when she's like trying to find people that she knows and she's gone, yeah, and then they eventually bring all those people back and then you know be like reintroduced to her in a way, yeah. and she you know I think that'd be. Kind of cool. Yeah. Real quick question. Yeah. I guess this could be for both of you guys. Mm. I've been thinking about this recently because I've just been thinking about like the, the actual visual of it. DC made a change to their uh, opening uh, film opening logo. Uh, another one two years ago. I think it was uh, uh, Justice League, um, but it may have been the film prior to that. Anyways, um, they've changed their logo so many times you can't even fucking catch keep up with it Mm -hmm. but in the most recent iteration the entire crew of the dc superheroes are lined up in a perfectly straight line this is aquaman if you will oh this is the aquaman star one this was before then i can't remember exactly which film it was yeah when this logo first made its appearance but it was recently um do you think that the entire crew will be in one shot with the audience looking at it in Avengers Endgame. No. Okay. I just don't think as much as I... I mean, could it happen? Sure. But do I think it will happen? No. I mean, the closest we've ever gotten to anything like that are very... I I just don't think Marvel has the foresight for that kind of... I actually think they do because I think that's the ultimate goal to be like, look at what we've done. <laughs> I And I would think that that would be their ultimate goal. But I feel like time and time and again, they kind of shortchange that kind of – I mean, if you look at something like Infinity War, that very much – even though everybody converged at the same epicenter – it also felt like they were in three separate movies. Marvel. And I feel like that's one of Marvel's biggest problems. 
compared to even if it was a shitty movie, Justice League, which had the actual team fighting together. Well, and, that, well, well that's I, only I, like five or six folks. Right? It is, but like, to... why didn't we get those? Well, that's what the Avengers used to be. I was going to say. <laughs> True. Even if it's a shorter target, they're still doing it. Whereas here, you had people in the same Wakanda, and yet it felt like they were in different continents. Well, uh, what, one thing I will say is probably Marvel's most, well, two of their three most iconic images, in my opinion, uh, from the entire MCU, at least post when they knew what they were doing. Um, definitely the w- most memorable, in my opinion, is the circle around all of the superheroes uh, in the first Avengers. Mm. Probably their most iconic shot they've ever done. And the second would be when the two separate sides who are fighting all converge together and start this enormous just hand-to-hand combat fight Mm. uh, in Civil War, which is just Uh, one of the best moments they've ever done. I thought you were going to say in Age of – I know it's not a good movie, but in Age of Ultron where they're all pretty much lined up in different – depths of field mm-hmm. well, oh, yeah. in the forest. Yes, that one that, shot that I that that one probably like 30 seconds where like everybody does their own little thing and then Thor hits it with his hammer and the whole thing explodes like that's fucking awesome mm-hmm. I'll, I, I will I will I'll be going out with the ship on that moment <laughs> but in terms of like actual visual images like those are the two that always come to mind in terms of like iconic Marvel MCU moments that like, if you look back 50 years from now, if they're showing, let's remember this mm. time period at the Academy Awards, as long as Steven Spielberg doesn't ruin it, um, those are going to be the images you see. And I feel like Marvel will not be able to contain itself and will have a weird moment where it just pans away and you see the entire group on the opposite side of Thanos. At some, yeah, I don't that know. makes sense to me. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just interested to see if it happens because I feel like there that's what it's building up to you would think hmm. i would just say i would not be shocked if they dropped the ball on that visual motif hmm. Hmm. i would like me. to see that yeah yeah, yeah. So, I, I personally think the marvel people are you know what's his name scott uh scott feige yeah feige. kevin uh, Kevin, Kevin, Kevin Feige, yeah, yeah. Oh, Scott. Um, Scott, Scott, Scott. <laughs> I need you to be Ant Man. God damn it! They should have not cast a Michael Douglas as Hank Pym. <laughs> Scott, know. Scott, come over here. I've got something for you. <laughs> anyway, um, I what do, did you I, think of Captain Marvel? Um, well, first off, I okay. should say um, you're right about Nirvana not hitting until '92, so it's like she would have mm-hmm. been gone. But they went out of their way to do like. There was at least five or six shot setups where she was wearing a Guns N' Roses shirt. And I don't want to get into Chinese democracy right now. <laughs> no, joking. But I'm just saying. It and Nine Inch Nails. Uh, uh, yeah, exactly. Which, again, that was stuff that like Pretty Hate Machine came out in 91, I want to say. I mean, and, and that didn't even really get big until a year or two later, like yeah. with Lollapalooza. So, I mean, my point is, though, Guns N' Roses. That was like Appetite for Destruction was a huge album, and there are so many different songs on there that would work uh, for various things. I, I just I don't know. I I thought it was strange. Yeah, you know what I mean. Now, granted, it was nineteen ninety five. Maybe they thought, well, we don't want something from eighty eight. We want something from ninety five. You know, that's not how music works. I mean, <sighs> when true. you're in ninety five and you turn on the radio, uh-huh. you are going to hear Guns N' Roses alongside quote unquote new hot music. Right, right. And as much as you might be into the new hot music. You're still going to be attributing 
that Guns N' Roses song to that era that you were obsessed with it, and or I should say the you know because if 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 unless you are listening to a bona fide classic station, sure, it is a good barometer as to when actual music has their heyday, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So anyway, no, I agree, and I mean if you look at like Star Lord's mixtapes, I mean those songs didn't all come out the same year or even no, but that know, made some perfect of them not sense. Even in the same decade, yeah, those were that was a mixtape made, but so it's not even his generation; it's his right. mom's generation, right. That he can't let go of, and that mm-hmm. makes perfect sense. So. Yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, I just, I was surprised there wasn't a Guns N' Roses thing. Uh, uh, not that there had to be, but if, if it seemed like they were uh, hell bent on doing music in there, and I thought that would have been maybe more uh, appropriate. I thought the No Doubt Just a Girl song completely fell flat. I agree, yeah, which is weird because thematically, lyrically, yeah. it's like, oh, this is great. And but, I think I, I think even Emily said she's like, oh, I really like that song, and I really like what they were trying to say, but it didn't really gel. You know? No, it just it just felt forced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. I, it was one of those things where I'm like, if this was. This feels like they just dropped it into iMovie. Like they were excited because they thought about using this song, but they didn't actually plan to use it. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, clearly, "Don't Speak" yeah. by No Doubt would have been a much better. <laughs> just kidding. Actually, that'd be intriguing. Hmm. <laughs> just like a really sad ballad while she's just, you know, that's interesting thought. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> um, well, okay. So, um, okay. Uh, I I would say. Um, uh, sorry, here I'm reading through my notes. Um, it's all right. It's nice that somebody still tries. On I was going to say. <laughs> I, 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 I barely. Yeah. Sorry, I'm all on, on, the, on the. We're just so good at this point. Like we just gel so much. Clearly, there's well, no need for notes because it's all right here. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's not like we wasted 20 minutes talking about Felicity Huffman. Well, I wouldn't say that was a waste. Actually, I wouldn't. Uh, speaking of that, while we're on mm-hmm. the topic, sure. yes. uh, I did just see um, that, not her, but the Lori. girl from Four. Yeah. yeah. Her daughter was apparently on a yacht with the some president of the college or something yeah. like that while well, it happened, so that's fucking awkward. That's hilarious. So it's not like, I never knew him. No, you knew him. Oh, no. They, 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 it's, the, I think the funniest thing is that but all this is But it's Mary Time Law, so like, she's okay. <laughs> Yes, she's in Cuban waters, technically. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So, well, Dan, what did you think of Captain Marvel? Um, I, I liked it a fair amount. I enjoyed it. Um, I would say that in some ways I would agree with you. That, now, first of all, I'm a huge Marvel Universe fan. Uh, I'm, I'm unapologetically hugely into it. And even if it's not like, oh, this is a cinematic triumph, I just, I just really enjoy them. I like each one of them, and I, I think the, the amount of them have built on each other to kind of give me like, – like I always tell you, it's like if I was a kid – when these came out, when I was reading comic books, I would be like going crazy because you could like, you know, because they all tie together and you have the television show, you know, the two, several television shows at one point. And like, to me, that's just like, this would have been like the stuff I was dreaming about as a kid. Though I'm like, ah, oh, that's never going to happen. That's just too difficult. You know, nobody will ever pull that off. So the fact that they're pulling it off as well as they are, I'm, I'm great with it. Um, that said, I felt like, um, I felt like in some ways, like you said, it was a little bit. I don't want to say amateurish because that's not quite the word. Um, I liked a lot of it. I um, There was one action scene in particular that really stood out for me as being really good, which was the one where in the Hall of Records and the lights are popping on and off and the sound and the visual motif, you know, that whole mise-en-scene. I thought that was very clever. Yeah, I like that. That was very suspenseful and really well done. And I was like, oh, that's really good. You know, it's uh, so I really liked that. I felt a lot of the other action scenes were were kind of like – 
was kind of there. Kind of paint by number. You know, like, I kind of felt like, like the car chase scene was bleh. And I thought... I, I forgot should, there was a car chase It's because it was so low. Oh, that's the, the those, Nick Fury one. Yeah, right? okay. I mean, it was just, the, you know, driving through L.A. in the midnight. To be honest with you... Um, I don't know. I was just, uh, I thought a good part of the movie, uh, there was a lot of things I really liked. And then about like a third of the way through, there started being, adding these things that I felt like, I'm like, oh, that was ex- extremely middle of the road. You know what I mean? So it's not like I had any, it took, I took offense to it, but I was like, I guess I've come to expect more. Like when I see a lot of the Marvel films that have been coming out in the last few years, um, you look at like, you know, Mangold's uh, Logan or... Um, not in the MCU. I know, but it's a Marvel film, damn it. It's got the logo at the beginning. Um, but You're in the same boat as me, Nick. Shut up. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> uh, you know, but like, uh, you know, the even I, I really like Scott Derrickson's uh, Doctor Strange. I liked uh, Taiki Watiti. Yeah. The Thor Ragnarok. I mean, I felt like those were movies where they, like Nick and I have been talking a lot about this with genre. And it's like there's certain things you can do in, in genre films where the audience goes in, they expect certain things. There's genre expectations, as they say. And you kind of go, okay, if, I, if, if I'm a filmmaker or a writer, director, I'm like, okay, I'm going to hit these beats. I'm going to make sure I have a certain amount of action. or a certain, So if it's a mystery, I have to have these kind of beats. If it's an action film, I have to have these kind of beats. If it's a porn film, I have to have this many sex scenes or whatever. But within that... You, Fucking better. But between those beats, if you, as long as you deliver... You can kind of get away with really tweaking the uh, the expectations of the genre and being really creative. I felt Thor Ragnarok really did that, and I felt like the Ant Man movie did to an extent too. Well, um, Ant Man and Wasp really, in my opinion, was like the final draft of Ant Man's oh, wow. rough draft. So oh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, but so, I mean, I mean, and just I mean, and even the Guardians of the Galaxy, Black Panther. I mean, these definitely have the mark of their director. It isn't just like dude was hired. And he went in, and he was crushed by the Marvel machine. And they very much hired these people because they thought, you know, uh, with Tiki, it's like, oh, you know, they're going to do something really interesting here that I'm that we wouldn't get if we just hired uh, Kenneth Branagh again to direct it. Yeah, Thor, you know, which uh, no diss on Kenneth Branagh. No, it's fine, please. Know. Oh, <laughs> I love Henry V. Great movie, but I'm just saying, you know, we love you, Emma Thompson. Home. Right. <laughs> um. So sorry, in a ran, way, random Dunkirk reference there. Sorry. Oh uh, no, I love it. Um, <laughs> but I, so for me, it was like I I felt like it was like sometimes like almost thuddingly middle of the road, thuddingly mm. mediocre. Not mm-hmm. always. There were times that were great. Like I thought the scene where they're doing the um, they're rolling through her uh, memories when she's uh, yeah. t- taken hostage by the squirrels, and you're hearing the voices. They're like, "Wait, what's going on?" What that was that I thought was very well done. I, I will say that was, that was interestingly prolonged. For yeah. an MCU film, like yeah, it wasn't like in Age of Ultron where they do that really random two-minute dream sequence where you see everybody's worst fears, and then oh yeah, you fucking cast Julie Depley for one of them, which I love, but like really, yeah, she, she was she's the ballet dancer in um oh. or teacher in maybe Natasha. Yeah, she's the one who yeah, she's the one who steals oh black Black Widow's lady parts, right? Really, 
I genuinely I, I don't so. remember that movie. I just remember her popping. No, out. she's she's like the Red Sparrow leader of oh, that okay. group, yeah, yeah. and that oh, the, that's yeah. the final initiation gotcha. as mm-hmm. they are. Jennifer Lawrence had to have sex with the guy in front of the class. Yeah, yeah, I get it. A little but a sure. little bit different plan here, but yes. Right. But for Ultron result. to do that in like a minute and just kind of waste all that kind of whatever. Whereas mm-hmm. in this movie, I'm not saying it was amazing, but it actually let that. Let the audience get stuck in that moment, yes, and it, not it, come out until it was ready. Yeah, it was really. I liked how disorienting it was because you're like, "Well, wait, what's going on?" And the fact that you compound that with the the several voices of people you haven't been introduced to yet, and they're all like they're confused as well, which I thought was amusing and I like ple- pleasantly disorienting. I'm yeah. like, "Oh, I like that." I like the rewinding. I like the fact that they showed the Annette Benning scene three oh, times. Be kind, rewind. Be, uh, most deaf. Hmm. Boom. Actually, his name is uh, what is it? Something Bay? Yasim Bay? Or oh, yes, it is. Actually. Most deaf changed his name. I just think cool. of uh, I just think of him as you know. Anyway, um, uh, please. Maybe he should uh, change his relevancy now. Oh come on, he's good. Yeah, he was really big in the Italian job. <sighs> he was great as leftier in the Italian job. Yeah, okay, that he was twelve. That was, that See, was, I'm that actually was, most. I mean, he was in that. And I remember watching that movie a million times. But the thing I think of most stuff when I think about most stuff is I think of the movie Sixteen Blocks yes. with Bruce Willis, which I really like that film. I watched it Me again. Too. Do you? Wow, yeah. I, I thought I was going to be alone with this. And it's funny. I have a weird story which I'm just going to tell you really fast. Please. And it really bothers me because it says a lot about the literal mindset of many moviegoers nowadays. Yes. So, um, my brother Jeffrey and his wife Teresa and I go to see 16 Blocks. We really enjoy it. And behind us are, you know, the lights come up, the credits are rolling, you know. And behind us are these two guys talking. And the one guy's like, I don't know, man. I just didn't really like this movie. Because, like, most stuff, he was talking, like, in that one way. And, like, I know he doesn't talk that way in real life. And it just kind of ruined it for me. And I just, I didn't like the movie. And I'm like, ah, I believe you're referring to acting you know i didn't say this but i was like that's the stupidest reason most random reason it's like you do understand these people you know like anthony hopkins doesn't actually eat people right (laughs) you know that i'm aware of no i i'm with you in the sense that i that's very annoying i will say and i'm a fan of that movie and that performance his affectation in that movie is kind of a take or leave it type thing it it can get a little thin after well whether somebody should hold that against the movie, you know, whatever. But it seemed like I don't know. People have such random reasons. It was like what yeah. I was telling you. You know, it's people will say, oh, "I didn't like the color of his shirt because it's those checks remind me of uh, the shirt that uh, my grandpa used to, you know, wear when he made me cut wood outside." And so I'm going to hate this movie. It's like wow, that yeah. you, you got super personal, and that had nothing to do with this movie. And True. you know, hundreds of people worked on this film, and you dismissed it in two seconds. So <laughs> you're going to go to hell anyway. <clears throat> I mean that. Figuratively. Um, but anyway, yeah, but I really liked the uh, overlapping voices where they're trying to figure it out. And I liked the scene, the Annette Benning thing three times. And each time Danvers, she does the line again and she mostly does it exactly the same. I mean to say Brie Larson does the line each time three, you know, each time she does it and she does it basically the same. But there's that slight inflection, that slight change in her look like, haven't I just done this? I thought that was really well done. So I liked that a lot. Um there, uh, like I said, I love the scene in the Hall of Records. Uh, I love the um, couple of lines just killed me, actually. The one where it was like the science guy, you know, they're like, yeah, yeah science guy. I mean, it's just that dryness. And I think maybe Ben Mendelssohn's a good part of this, even with the makeup. It's just, you know, and honestly, the one that really made me laugh and like, 
I think I was laughing for like a minute afterwards. I don't know why it really struck me. But they come up there, and the little scroll kid is showing her his high score on the uh, pinball machine. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> yeah. Nick Fury's like, yeah, I'd have a high score, too, if I'd spent six years on the same damn pinball machine. And I'm like, dude, he's a little kid. What are you being so petty for? But it was just like, I thought it was the funniest thing. It's just this little side yeah. comment like, yeah, I'm not that impressed. That six-year-old, I could kick his ass anytime. It was just so petty, you know? So I really liked that. Um, but I did think a lot of it seemed kind of surprisingly uncreative. Like, there were times where, like, and I, I don't mean this facetiously, but I actually wondered if the filmmakers were actually trying to emulate a certain kind of middle-of-the-road, mediocre, mid-90s action film. Like, I'm not talking, like, tentpole films like True Lies, which I was... You're talking about stuff like Last Action Hero. Uh, Or, or like, even more, like, I don't know, like, freaking those, the Under Siege movies, you know? Oh, okay. Or, like, yeah, I've got a couple, Cliffhanger, that's one. Or the Sniper films, those were wretched. I don't think they were smart enough to do that. (laughs) Or uh, Executive executive Decision, where it's Seagal's in the first half and he falls out of the plane, everything, that's not a good movie. (laughs) You don't need to see it, I just told you everything you need to know. But it was like it was lit and edited almost in that style to the point where I was like, it was like, are they like, are they having a, a laugh on us? Like, not or maybe are they trying to give us like a subtle, right? But no, I think in the end, I think the filmmakers are just a little out of their depth. I'll say this about them, which is that I really liked Mississippi Laugh, Mississippi Grind, and mm-hmm. I haven't seen Half Nelson, so I can't comment on that. But mm-hmm. so I certainly like what they've done in the past. Mm-hmm. However. Here's the thing about directing duos. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like it's there's a reason why the most famous ones are siblings. When you have uh, mm-hmm. the Wachowski sisters and the Cohen brothers, like mm-hmm. I think it kind of has to not has to be that way. But when you are that kind of in sync, you've been with that person forever and whatnot. When, when you're just, I don't. I don't. Are they a couple or are they just two people? I, I, I don't remember. Think, I think they are a couple now. They okay. started out professionally, but I, I but think just, they okay. are now. Okay, but in general, that they hadn't grown up with each other, so mm-hmm. to speak. I, I just think part of this movie's faults may have been the fact that the two of them, no matter even if they made good movies, mm-hmm. have in no way made enough movies to know how the two of them direct as a unit. I mean, yeah. That's at, probably a good point. Look at I mean, it. they can make a movie. Like, they can competently throw it, whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a good movie. It's not but a badly made film. Marvel. They're not like the Wachowskis or the Coen, where not only are they in bed with each other as far <laughs> not uh, creepily, but you. for going for the same goals, but they also know, I'm sure, almost intrinsically, what the other can and will do, so therefore they kind of sync up that way. Marvel put all of their most of their eggs in the Russo brothers basket. So that's another example of yeah. true. And they've been consistently one of the best, yeah. I would say they've, behind they've, the they've, camera. They've kept them around and give them the biggest gigs. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. they've kind of so, simplified the style. I mean, my, if you want to look at the flagship pieces, I, they're, yeah. they're, that's the style, the default style. For yeah. Marvel, you know? I, I would not be surprised if we do not see another, uh, even if like this performs as well as it does, which I'm sure obviously it has. Like, sixth, I could see if there is a sequel opening ever. I, even so, I think if there is a sequel to Captain Marvel, yeah, no, it would be just like, oh, we were able to get, and then everybody will freak out because because of how well it did. Maybe that mm-hmm. means that they could get somebody. We were able they... to get Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> <laughs> that would oh. probably be better than oh. to be honest. Well, Kenneth Branagh is actually a pretty skilled director. I mean, he's not. 
He's not he's hired to deliver exactly what the studio wants. But he but, does it in a way that's actually not that's actually professional and I, I think yeah, like, I, mean, I don't think some of the sound mixing problems even if it was the theater some of it was you're in, really caught up on that I am because yeah. it was amateurish even I would know to move the levels up a little bit well you know the theater. my my problem yeah see I gotta, I gotta res- confirm I'm that. gonna reserve judgment on that too I'm not sure I like to um, judge fine. without warrants you can just judge away judgy <laughs> just be all judgy about it if you have to be all judgy anyway, objection overruled uh, <laughs> I will allow it um, so, um, I think, um, but my problem wasn't just with, it wasn't really the sound mixing. It was more like the, just the very conventional editing, very conventional shot list, the very conventional lighting, uh, a lot of like, I mean, there were lines that were like dad jokes to me. Like there's a part, I swear to God, there was a part where she's trying to escape from the crawl ship and he, and, uh, Talos, Talos, right? Talos. Talos. He comes out and he literally says, leaving so soon. And I'm like, you got to be shitting me. Somebody didn't do a script polish on this and come up with something better. I mean, just like I expect a certain level of cleverness to the Marvel work. And there's usually a knowing cleverness. 21 films in, yeah. Yeah, I mean, really. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, the Joss Whedon stuff, of course, too. I mean, but I just, I expected a little more than that. And, you know, even the other ones, like, oh, well, uh, I won't tell your boss if you don't tell mine. It was like, it was okay, but you know what I mean? It's like, I felt like I was just expecting a little more... I don't know. Cleverness is maybe not the uh, depth, maybe intelligence. I, I will. I, I will say when we talk about comparisons, as you were comparing this to you know potentially other '90s sure. random action films, I was getting a really big Men in Black vibe during this film. Ah, at its are, best, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, was, I, I, I do love those films. I mean, I don't consider those. And and, and the first film definitely was a product of the '90s, as Will Smith was running around in it, basically oh, paying. Oh hell the, no. Basically playing the grown-up version of his character from The Fresh Prince. Right. Uh, and NYPD. Knock your punk ass down. Yeah, sure. With his bright pants. You mm-hmm. bet. Uh, so funny because he has a tiny little gun, which means he has a tiny little penis. It's true. That's a stand-in for his... You see, it's symbolic. That's, a, that's symbolism there. That's the symbolism. Gary Levinson. What a guy. You know, he's... um. <laughs> Interesting guy. If you guys heard, he's like he just will like burst into tears on the set all the time. It's insane. Like, and, and it'll be like so he's like Brian Singer, but he's but, not a pedophile. But whoa, Brian Singer's finally getting fired from that Red Sonja movie. Finally, which Jeez. to me means nothing. I mean, like he got fired from it, but what also, took so long? Well, yeah, like you know, <laughs> so he'll just get another movie tomorrow, probably. The man brought I don't the think so, but also and the X Men films. I mean, he's got he's got a lot of clout left to burn through yet. I mean, I'm so. not saying he he's going to direct the next Kevin Spacey apology, not mm. apology. Can you like, genuinely, really quickly? Mm-hmm. Can you actually imagine that like, I could actually where like people band together? Oh, like, I could see it. Yeah, where it's sure. this movie, you know, James Franco executive producing. Kevin Spacey starring. The internet uh, would be all about that. Well, I don't think Franco has quite the level of stink on him. No, does he? I mean, but I just meant like, like I'm just trying to like. That was more re- like a, a stupid. Clod- I'm saying that as someone who just watched episode four of season two of The Deuce last sure. night, so it's like clearly I'm a horrible person. But no, no. Um, I just mean I was, just I was grasping just, at I was just listening. all I was just the watching kind of Space Jam the other day, man. It was R. Kelly. All the, no, I'm kidding. Go on. Yeah. No, no, mm-hmm. but that was pretty much it. Like, Sorry. I could see a unfortunate uh, CSNY project uh, of that, mm-hmm. yes. of caliber coming out. Of scum. Yes. <laughs> it's just, uh, 
Unfortunately, I think that's closer to reality. CSNY, uh, I, I, I had a friend who used to refer to Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young as somebody, nobody, some other guy in Young. And I tend to That's agree. actually kind of accurate. Yeah, I mean, the other guys are talented, but Neil Young's the guy. I mean, come on. I got his picture in my office. I mean, come on. Come on. So, uh, so yeah, one thing I did really like, and I thought this was really well done, even though I had some inkling of it, the scroll uh, Cree turnaround thing. That was wonderful. Yeah, I thought. the switcheroo was very well done. And there's little subtle cl- clues along the way. Like, for instance, at the beginning, I remember there's a scene where Jude Law is talking to her, training her and all that. And he's like, You have to think less with your heart and more with your head. And I'm like, Wow, that is like exactly the opposite of what most Hollywood messages are, mm-hmm. which is usually you need to th- not overthink and use more of your emotion. And I thought, That's an interesting that was, change. That was probably my favorite storyline beat here mm. this idea of the reversal of mm-hmm. what she's being told and that is the key to unlocking mm-hmm. her i mean it is very not exactly like but it is yeah. very similar to the uh phoenix storyline where ah. this idea of controlling your power basically and then the idea you cannot reach your potential if you actually do that but i think hmm. what's fascinating about what you're just talking about dan mm-hmm. is that this idea that they can take her power away and then the ultimate release to her actual power is her saying, I don't need this shit. Right. Um, I thought that was fabulous. Yeah. I thought that was great, too. I thought that was a really strong uh, change in the movie. I, I wish the fight scene that came after it was more um, less paint by numbers. But, uh, I mean, it was okay. That's the just that, that was a That was a – to me, that was her final – battle with jude law was the only way that could have gone oh that i that i liked actually. because yeah. they're trying to set her up as this fucking boss mm-hmm. and him is just this kind of mortal person at this point um and the idea that it would be a close fight at that point was like kind of laughable to me well that and yeah. also that it, he would even be worth that i think would right also right the well but line. but but the fact that she literally gets a Tim Roth kick into the tree from the Hulk <laughs> moment of just flying across the desert mm-hmm. uh, yep. when they are about to start fighting. And uh, it's not, as I just mentioned, it's not the first time Marvel has done something like this. They did something very similar at the beginning of Thor The Dark World where there was this big battle and Thor just beat the shit out of this yeah. guy made out of rocks. Yes. Um, but, yes. And it kind of reminds you of like Hulk's uh, bashing of Loki where it right. takes – I mean I'm not saying it's the exact same emotional beat – but it's the same kind of punchline of, like, you expect something, and in reality it's more of a just kind of punchline. But line. it's actually mm-hmm. a really good uh, a really good way of storytelling, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because my thought process has always been, if these, this character is such a fucking awesome superhero, why are they able to be almost matched by this yeah. really just below-them villain? And Marvel has routinely kind of just swept that to the side. Um, And I I thought that part was great. I actually thought that the, like, climax of this film, I actually thought was fantastic. I liked the climax. I didn't like the the fight on the ship as much, the one with just a girl and all that. I just, I thought it was okay. It wasn't bad. No, it was, it was, it was, was, yeah. I don't want to sound like I'm overly critical. It was just, I thought, I expected a little more. Like, you know, like maybe just 10% or 15%. And and I guess maybe that's a little silly at this point because, I mean... But I will say, though, that that climax with Jude Law, you know, what it reminded me of was that scene in Raiders, where uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where um, 
the guy comes out with the swords and he's like doing the whole dance with the swords and then Indy's just like shoots him. I mean, it's, it's that great moment, you know. I mean, there's there's a lot of examples from that. Um, mm-hmm. You have one in the uh, the first Tim Burton Batman where the guy is doing oh, that yeah. crazy shit with the <laughs> knives and yes. he just fucking drops them uh, and it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's really good. Uh, so the other thing, ah, shit, I just lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's not your fault. This is all on me. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know. It's, we, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, oh, okay. I got it. Mm -hmm. So I already did mention this a little bit, but holy shit, uh, that Ronan Lee Pace thing just made him look even worse because him showing up, first of all, he is, he is forced to hold on to that hammer because no one will have any fucking idea who he is I without think it. it. Every time, and it's it's just like in the comics, he's always got that damn hammer, and I'm like, yeah. dude, doesn't he ever get tired? He's just like, I'm gonna put this down for a while, man. No one will he's know he's the, the accuser, accuser if he Come doesn't on. have the hammer. Yeah. He's not gonna like throw down on that ship. First I mean, of all, <laughs> okay, okay. Here, here's the problem with his send off line and why to me it was like laughably bad because mm. the idea of we're what gonna was come send off line we'll be back no 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 the 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 will be back thing was fine like I feel mm. like okay that kind of makes sense because he eventually does come back in a somewhat different form whatever mm. but when he says well we're gonna be back for the weapon no we're gonna be back for the girl it's like whoa bro you die before she comes back like I've seen it. So this sure. this is unless the sequel to this takes place in the 2000s. Please no. Oh, please no, don't try Ronan again because that's been a failure twice now. So like on the one hand, mm-hmm. that line makes sense in a vacuum of not looking at any other Marvel movie or anything like that, but because he is a very notable Kree warrior and part of anybody... and we've seen the end of his story arc. Well, no, we do. So I'm, yeah. I'm I'm saying in a vacuum of just race and whatnot relations like. Whoever is Captain Marvel is technically almost always an adversary of the Kree race because they turn their back on their own people, mm-hmm. even if, in Carol's case, she's half human, half uh, Kree. So, like, on the one hand, it makes sense because Ronan's the only person in the entire MCU that she even has any ties to, if not, like, a Yon-Rog, uh, mm-hmm. whatnot. On the other hand, it makes no sense because they've in no way set up any plausible reason as to why it would still play out or be uh, why it should happen after this regardless. So That was just shitty script writing. Yeah. That's just lazy writing, as Deadpool would say. Uh, um, one thing I will say is I thought um, the – and I mentioned this before, the Nick Fury um, thing – uh, I, I don't. I know you guys felt you didn't feel quite as positive as I did, but I felt um, the CGI Sam Jackson, the young version. I thought it was great. Honestly, I oh, okay, because yeah. within a few minutes, I, I honestly completely forgot about it until the very end, and I'm like, oh yeah, he doesn't look yeah, like I that anymore. Yeah, I thought the uh, I thought the weird mm-hmm. the weirdness came on the actually on the medium shots or the far you know the distance yeah. shots on. Uh, Clark Gregg, Mm -hmm. I thought that looked almost cartoonish. Okay, I have two thoughts about the the CGI faces. I thought everything involving Agent Coulson looked awful. Like, just, I'm just saying. The medium shots definitely. That was just bad. It looked like he was a hybrid of of Clark Gregg meets Joel Grey and Cabaret. Like, it was just (laughs) 
so weirdly oh, stiff and, wow. and yet animated that it made no sense to me. And, yet, and also, uh, too, we've gotten away wow. from the just we've gotten away from the excuses of oh that was just me. Yeah. that was me making a video rendering or yes. that was me. No, this is back. supposed to be just That's in a real person reality. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and Samuel Jackson, I will say ninety nine percent, ninety percent of the time, I should say, worked for me. Where it lost me every once in a while was that it was so good at the head-on uh, just rendering. Mm-hmm. But when he had to move across the axis of his own jawline, oh, I about it, for me personally, there was something weird. And I couldn't, like, I didn't think his face actually moved in a naturalistic <laughs> way. Where it's like... They were animated separately. Like, his sure. neck moves perfectly, but his face does not move in the... Somebody forgot uh, to put more dots on him. Kind of, basically. Like, like it looked like storyboarded instead of fluid action. Yeah, no, I get you. In I, general, I thought it did look pretty great, but every time that kind of happened, I was just like, whoa, what? and now I'm looking at his face from another angle <laughs> instead of just looking at his face. I mean, so. if I watched it now, I might notice. I didn't notice at the time, but if I watch it again, I, I might probably go, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, just like Mark Ruffalo's voice in, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Spotlight, um, <laughs> which I didn't notice until now. And I'm like, oh, great. Now I'm, I'm sorry, but forever. he's doing something fucking weird in that he, movie. He just he's like that sometimes. And I know? genuinely love that movie. Oh, absolutely. What is that, Alex? But the, what are you doing? So, oh, I was just taking and putting back one of the marbles from my mouth. That's fine. <sighs> but yeah, but that's what he was doing. So, uh, so the, uh, the, that's what I was doing, fucker. <sighs> what I was going to say was um, in the uh, the other thing I really liked, I liked the switcheroo thing uh, with the uh, <laughs> scrolls uh, because I liked that they did sort of subtly mention a few. I mean, like there was the – like they weren't so frighteningly omnipotent. Like you could see them as individuals. You know what I mean? And they did die. Like that scene where uh, Ben Mendelsohn is at the uh, uh, morgue and he says that little thing about, you know, comrade will finish, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You know, it rises, whatever he says, you know, yeah. and that sort of thing. But I mean, I, I thought, oh, that's interesting. They're kind of humanizing him. And then, then of course, when Ben Mendelsohn's at the house, he's already doing some, what I thought some pretty funny jokes. The whole jazz hands thing made me laugh. <laughs> My know? favorite part of that whole story arc from what you're discussing mm-hmm. is that. I actually feel like, as an audience member who doesn't know anything about the Kree Kroll storyline, mm-hmm. Kroll, Scroll, sorry, K R. No, it's really annoying because was that, Kree uh, yeah. already sound like yeah. Scra. So anyway, so anyways, mm-hmm. sorry to Nick Kroll. Uh, <laughs> so the or or Kroll, the film from the eighties, the uh, medieval. Mm-hmm. It's a terrible. Never mind. Anyway, <laughs> go. <on. laughs> I feel it's like a Carol Dan <laughs> Carol Danvers and also the audience could not be sure if oh, they yeah. can believe them and it, and it and it works really well in a in a well you know, going for a pretty you know decent like 15 20 minute stretch so the oh, one yeah. thing i will say about the creve scroll war being introduced into this movie mm. that's a dangerous precedent to set because of the mm. fact that we are about to get the next movie will mm. be the literal end game mm-hmm. and it is a very common trope that Marvel comics throughout the years, when they wanted big things to happen, the twist would be, oh, but actually it was a scroll the whole time. So, like, the death right. of Captain America, oh, right. he was a scroll. It wasn't really Captain America. He's in a prison cell somewhere, whatever. Yeah, that was their death. So, for them to introduce so, yeah. scrolls into the MCU, 
the movie before what could be mm-hmm. the biggest movie is just kind of like has me side eyeing them going, okay, uh, is would, this yeah. going to be the biggest bullshit ever? Because like they'll do crazy shit in Endgame and then in Spider Man Homecoming, like, well, it was a scroll. Uh, that's why Tom Holland is still alive. Like, uh, I don't care about Tom Holland is still alive, but like, if that's their the end game here, they're only <laughs> hey. zing. Uh, but if that is their their trajectory <laughs> here, say it again. What's it? no? I was not. <laughs> if that is what they are going for, um, they are only literally repeating their sins of the past. <laughs> I, I agree that would be some serious cheapness if yeah. they did that. And I wouldn't um, put it past them. I'm not saying I would expect them to do it. I was telling you, but... I feel like that there is a good chance that in her time with these scrolls, Captain Marvel has learned how to shapeshift. Ah. He's a, he's a that, very... Okay. Yeah. As a person who now, I guess, has comics in my blood, whatever, like that would make me angry. <laughs> like that just makes it no would sense. Be, uh, it would be pretty You're not their audience. Um, I guess not. I... But... <laughs> Well, I, I'm okay I, with changes, but like if you're like, when why not just make the character that you wanted to follow a scroll? Like, that just makes no sense. She's literally half Cree. Where would she put the other half of that? <laughs> Where do the clothes come I, from? I ask just, you. Where do they get the I'm, clothes? I'm, I'm, I'm just, she can't I'm, learn it. Like that's in their DNA, which is the whole reason she why. She also had the fucking Cree thing explode, and that's how she becomes part Cree. I mean, come that's on. actually how she became part Cree okay. in the 1970s. So. Okay. When she was just a secretary or whatever at oh. NASA in Cape Canaveral. I guess all I'm saying is... <laughs> that was all women were allowed to do back is, then. Uh, it's just if, if it's not, when if she worked even, for J. Jonah Jameson, by the oh, way. Did she really? Uh, yeah, was after she quit her NASA security thing, uh, she went and she wrote for the Daily uh, Beagle. Yes. Uh, for true? their subsection, which was Women's Magazine. Ah. And J. Jonah Jameson had a lot of opinions as I'm to what sure kind of content well, this should is, be in that magazine. This was before he started like verbally abusing drummers, right, all the time? Uh, yeah, this so. was, uh, I feel like he came out of the womb <sighs> yeah. verbally abusing. Verbally abusing, yeah. Uh-huh. So, yes. uh, if you guys are okay. Well, yes. I, I did want to say a couple quick things. Okay, so, so yeah. after you say a couple quick things. Mm-hmm. I think we should go to final ratings. Which I think, I think is fair. Yeah, yeah. We have already gone through everything. Gone through yeah. pretty much everything. So go yes. right ahead, Dan. Uh, well, the first thing I was going to say is, um, being somebody who was employed at a Blockbuster video in 1995, <laughs> I can tell you that it was period correct for the most part. Yes, yeah. I could tell. It had those really shitty shelves I made... that we would like spray luminol on, and it mm. would like make them shiny. Spray what? It didn't... Luminol. Like, oh, know, I thought it said lube. Oh. And I was that like, whoa. Be... That was oh. the night shift. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, now uh, I'm thinking of uh, Michael Keaton and uh, yep. Henry Winkler. Mm-hmm. Hey, and towel boy. boy. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, so I will say that. Um, but, you know, that was I will say mm-hmm. I did work at a blockbuster video. Mm-hmm. I did patronage at one. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. uh, I was very happy that uh, when she was picking up movies that the right stuff was a double VHS, totally. which totally. I was like, yes, that is the correct mm-hmm. uh, Tome, uh, yes, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. No, that's right. It was on. Two- I remember the exact spot where the tape ended. Like if you can remember Titanic with like that's just common sense. But like yeah. the fact that they would remember that the right stuff of all movies was anyway. Oh yeah, the right stuff. Uh, casino. I can, yeah, I remember the exact spot where Casino stops on the tape, and you have to put in the next one. It's a very unsettling spot. What where, was it? Well, it's the uh, guy because ca- Alex the, would be interested. Well, you know the favorite movie of all time. Well, you know it's the scene where uh, it's not LQ. Yeah, it might be LQ Jones. He comes in. And the cowboy head and he's like 
has this man even have a license? Because we need to look. We may have to kick a cock's ass out of town. Uh. And then it cuts to black, and you're like, ugh. And I was watching with a Jewish friend, and we're both like, ugh. You know, it's just <laughs> That's like the end of the film. Highly, highly. <laughs> yeah, we're like, we should put in the next tape, because I don't want this to linger. Well, <laughs> in know? that era, it's funny, because like, sometimes it was so fucking random. Like I don't remember what it was for this particular movie, but mm. they did it on DVD. But Pearl Harbor, I remember when it said skip to... <laughs> I know. And this was DVD era. <laughs> oh, but yeah, before they learned how to double layer uh, DVDs, um, I just remember when that ended, that I was like, I... I what? There's 90 more minutes of this shit? <laughs> like, that was, like, like my worst nightmare. You were like, Whereas, well, thank God this is over. No! Yeah. <laughs> Whereas other things, like Goodfellas, I guess it's Martin Scorsese thing, uh, or what you just sure. described with Casino, that was right. more of, like, a, oh, I, got, I need to flip to the next one. Well, Titan- yeah. Titanic has probably the best Well, what, what was the, or I mean, the, the midpoint? Uh, the, the midpoint on the Titanic disc is them coming to the realization that the ship is going to sink. Oh, wow. Which and that would Captain make Smith sense. turning to Bruce Ismay and saying, well, Mr. Ismay, oh, I guess yes. you may get your headlines. Right. And that's flipped to this, too. Which, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty good. That's absolutely. like a miniseries type. Like, yeah. you could you could conceivably tell someone that was a TV show and that was part one and part two, even though it obviously wasn't. But Right. Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, uh, I'm trying to remember movies that actually have had intermissions, but um, uh, modern movies, I mean, but I, I think Gettysburg did. Hateful Eight. Hateful Eight did as well. Yeah, Dave? but Gettysburg uh, had one, and it actually was at a pretty good spot. And like, oh, okay, Jeff Daniels is just. I find some really when good I stuff. watch like the roadshow versions of mm-hmm. like a lot of classic musicals, it's as much as it's like it makes sense. It's also very just arbitrary. Like it's yeah. like the only consistent rule I could find whether I watch like My Fair Lady or uh, A Star Is Born has the intermission. Um, it's always just like make sure that the first act or shall we say half is slightly longer than the second yes. one and you're good to go for this. I would say uh, Lawrence of Arabia has a really good spot. Um, have you guys seen that one? I don't know. Actually, I'm not. Okay. Uh, it's basically he's come back from the first campaign and he's had this huge success. They've taken the uh, city of uh, Aqaba, I believe. And um, he comes back and he's talking to the British uh, officers and he's like basically confessing this really awful thing uh, about how he enjoyed killing somebody. And it's like, but it's really well done. And at the end, it's like, well, we're going to send you back out, my friend. And so it's like, you know, refreshments, mm. and then he has to go right back. So it was basically yeah. like us in the theater. We're well, like, okay, me. we're going to go to the lobby, and <laughs> we can, you know. But that's Let's actually a really well – It's a very well paced. Uh, one thing I was also <laughs> – but you can't see right now, folks, is that Alex is doing uh, the – is it the, the shake or the uh, popcorn? I was, was, I, was, I was planning to be the popcorn. I was can trying I? to widen my arms mm-hmm. to make the entire box okay. fit. Ah. I had to explain to my entire uh, cabal of coworkers the other day. I like you have a cabal. Oh, I have a cabal. Yeah, like my um, enclave. Yeah. So we're my all doing posse, a. If you will. <laughs> Sorry, go on. No, we're we're doing a summer reading program every year. It has a different theme because sure. I work in a library. In case someone's just tuning in now, mm. um, and this year's theme is Showtime. So I made a joke about like the... the network. No. <laughs> And you no, I'm like... not talking about the Robert De Niro, Eddie Murphy vehicle for hilarity. Wow. Um, Who's jumping? I'm just talking about the general theme of Showtime. Movies, Broadway, oh, okay. all that kind of all fun that stuff. Jazz, yeah. The Magic Johnson Lakers? He, yeah, of course. So you have fantastic. no idea what I'm talking about? I have now, no idea. No. Okay. I don't give a fuck. NBA action. So Fantastic. I made a joke about 
in the drive-in, the uh, you know the inner titles between movies about the hot dog that won't get in the bun. <laughs> we all know about this, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like the literally the animated bun pointing to himself, mm-hmm. pointing, to, and the hot dog won't do anything except fucking uh, mm-hmm. somersaults yeah. until the clock runs down and he finally gets in that bun. Mm-hmm. Because I have a certain reputation at work. Uh, you've told me a little about this. Yeah. People were, and I guess, A, completely unfamiliar with this phenomenon, and B, assuming that I was making a penetration joke this entire... And I'm like, no, I'm like... This well, is I don't the, know why they would have thought that. I don't get it either. You know, but mean, I'm like, no, this is the real thing. So part of our in the gutter. No, yeah. go on, no, but part of our staff meeting was me going to YouTube and showing them just to clear my name. I'm like, first of all, if I'm going to make a joke like that, it's going to be hilarious. Okay? <laughs> Not this questionable, are you sure? Whatever. So, yeah, anyway. This isn't a... Ha- I'm no half-measure jokes here. That's right. You know what I mean? So... Right. So they, but most of your coworkers are older than you, yes. Uh, I would say yes, on average. I would have thought they'd be. <laughs> well, first of all, familiar. every coworker uh, in my department is older than I'm. Still the baby, even though I'm not the last hired. Oh, but in terms of service, you're not the youngest. But yeah, I get you. Yes, yes. Um, gotcha. Uh, interesting. Well, yeah. I, oh. I'm sorry. Would you... No, no, I was going to say, was there anything else? Oh, yeah. Uh, I would like to say that I think the Stan Lee cameo in this one was the best he ever did. I did forget to mention that. Uh, except for the opening. That was terrible. Never mind that. I didn't see that because I was uh, actually... I Good for you. Beginning. Yeah. But, uh, the, but... the actual cameo portion of it, I actually was uh, actually was reading an opinion on that, that oh. there was... That there was that, that that the cameo tried to actually introduce him into the real world in the film because he's reading yeah yeah he's, he's reading the script from all yeah, yeah. which it, it is, is the movie that he that was his first stan lee camp right in 1995 jason lee character gets to talk to him in the mall at the food court so mm-hmm. here's the only thing that would have been great if this was his last cameo I, that's what i told going, you i said i'm very upset that i already read that he has another post uh he actually uh, apparently has one in the spider-man movie too oh, so fucking hell god He's like He's Grand Moff Tarkin. <laughs> he just yeah. never dies. Anyway, uh, but I, I did like that because you can hear him. He's rehearsing the line. He's like, yeah. I believe, blah, yeah. blah, blah. And then she walks up and he's got the Balras script with the, it, the logo. It and was I'm like, genuinely I, sweet. Yes. It was funny. Oh, yeah. It was a nice capstone on his legacy in movies. Mm-hmm. Like, not just in, you know, just being Stan Lee, but just mm-hmm. kind of like, wink, wink. This is where it all started. The idea that they would even keep the Stanley cameos and future films is just perplexed in my mind, just as far as quality goes. I know why they would and they will, but yeah, anyway. I don't know. I feel like it's like, it's after a point you're like, you know, when is this becoming weekend at Bernie's where you're just bringing out this guy? <laughs> you know what I mean? And I mean, it seriously like, no, yeah, I really, agree. I mean, why can't you get, let the guy die? <laughs> you know what I mean? Just let the man yeah. rest in peace. He was like 90 something when he died, wasn't he? Yeah. And it's Tony like, he, he this lived, is not a tragedy. He lived a great life. He, he probably fulfilled every single thing he wanted to do in his life. He probably, Fucked a lot of people out of oh, their yeah. creative rights. Oh, I thought oh, you yeah. were gonna well, in go fact, somewhere else. With oh, that. yeah, yeah, <laughs> probably that too. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it's funny because in Mallrats, well, he's got that Tony Stank. <laughs> it's funny because in the movie, Mallrats, you my genitals. Oh, Do you know I created Spider-Man? Who? <laughs> 
I like Batman. I'm not going to tell you people now. <laughs> all right, all right, I'll say it. Okay, <laughs> so <laughs> in Mallrats, there's a part where he keeps saying, uh, the guy's like, well, let's do the list, you know, and Jason Lee's like, you did this bit, and, you know, all the, and he's naming all the characters, and he's like, yep, I did that, and I'm like, well, yeah, you yeah. did, but there were other, you know, there's there's Kirby, there's Jackie, I mean, it's like, there's some other people there. It's just, it's interesting how willing even then he was to take on the full well you know for you look at something like like x-men for example and i guess mm-hmm. we're just shitting on him i guess but no no just I, to point it I out think he's great. I like just think he created the x-men but would people be talking about the x-men if his first 60 issues which are generally terrible right. weren't followed by chris claremont coming in writing actual mm-hmm. good stories for the x-men so mm-hmm. it's, he's a good idea man but yeah. That's I would agree with that. Yeah. I I don't he's, think he's, somebody... he's been his legacy through the MCU is creating this idea that he's he... a carnival barker. Yeah, in a good in a good way. Yeah, step right up, see the amazing Spider Boy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's he's the Incredible Hulk. For, for people who aren't going to take the time to look it up, he is now the person who created sure. that. Sure. Well, yeah, I and mean, the, the only one. Yeah, well, when yeah. when the Truth becomes, or when legend becomes truth, you print the legend, as John Ford said. So let's uh, final rating. Oh, go with ratings here. Well, that's the you can start. Oh, okay. Well, <clears throat> uh, there was one other thing. Oh, I just thought it was interesting, though. Uh, just really fast, the switcheroo thing is a really rich topic, which is way too much to get into now. But the idea of one man's hero being another man's terrorist is a super interesting topic. And I mean, like I can think of several. Uh, like South African movies, like a dry white season just came out on Criterion. Recently. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's all about it. Where like Donald Sutherland, he's a liberal white man, and he's like, ah, in South Africa, he's like everything's you know blah blah. All oh, these terrorists, why are they stirring up trouble? And then you know by the end of it, he's like, oh, they're not the terrorists; they're actually the freedom fighters, and the state is the terror apparatus. Yep. And I, I just thought that was really interesting. Um, anyway. Just something to think about for, I mean, there's plenty of other movies you could say that in. But this one I felt was really good at that because she even says, well, no, you're the terrorists. And I thought that was pretty pointed. I thought that I was mean, very prob- well I mean, probably my, not the best, but my favorite example of that exact thing is that if you look at the very beginning of V for Vendetta and mm-hmm. where you start with that and where you end up, where you do a complete 180. Yeah, where the um, state turns out to be the terror apparatus. I yeah. mean, they're the ones who kill Stephen Fry and I yeah, mean, amongst but, other things. But at the same time... Uh, the entire community as a whole has completely shifted yeah. um, by, by the end of it, which is true. pretty, pretty wonderful. Yeah. yeah, it's true. So do you, do you want to start? Sure. Okay. Um, so I did a little research and I found out because uh, um, uh, Alex's lovely wife, Emily, mentioned that there is a Marvel, Captain Marvel, of course, in the Mar- uh, DC as well. And I realized there's a third one too. Um, that was from a place called Fawcett comics in the fifties. Oh. He ended up, he was basically what it was is they were reprinting. I just think this is an interesting factor. They were reprinting uh, stuff in Britain of the DC Marvel stuff. And basically DC sued them because the law was changed. And so they were like, what do we do? Let's create our own Marvel. So we'll <laughs> call him Marvel man. And so this British, you know, writer uh, was drafted to do this, and it ended up becoming pretty big. And by 1963, they had to, like, you know, go bankrupt. But anyway, so this character, Marvel Man, sort of lay fallow for a long time. And then in 82, uh, Alan Moore was like, I would love it if if my company would pick up, you know, the rights to Marvel Man. 
And that's, I think, one of the best comic book series ever. In the U.S., it's called Miracle Man, which is actually what I refer oh, to. Oh, yeah. As. But, I mean, that's, like, one of the great series. I mean, not just of the 80s, but of all time. Because, I mean, it's Alan Moore, and it really plays with the ideas of what does it mean to be a superhero. Are you sort of a god at that point? And how do you live amongst the people? And at one point, you become a kind of a benevolent dictator. And then Alan Moore was doing that for a while. And then Neil Gaiman took over, or Gaiman, I should say, took over for a while. So I, mean, I was going to say, damn. It's a, <laughs> Neil <yeah>. Diamond. <laughs> I know, Neil Diamond. <laughs> da, da, da. Crackling Rosie. <laughs> yep, speaking of carnival barkers. I don't yeah. know, you know, Brother John's, pre- I don't know, whatever it's called. <laughs> anyway, um, so anyway, I thought that was interesting. So mm-hmm. Emily mentioned it, and I thought, you know, I think there's another one in here. And then I realized it was Miracle Man, which is one of my favorite books. Nice. So, yeah, uh, I would say this film, like I said, was really good. But there were a lot of times where I was kind of surprised at how exactly middle of the road it was. How I mean, I, I don't want to say medi- mediocre sounds negative, but it's actually more like middle. And I felt like there were some definitely some great moments. Like I said, the scene in the Hall of Records or the some of the lines were very funny. But, you know, there was a lot of stuff where I thought, hmm, this could have used a little more. And, and I feel like the directors just didn't um, – I don't think they were creative enough at this point. Maybe they just haven't done enough films yet. Um, they didn't really seem to have a clear enough vision. It seemed more like they were doing what they thought a Marvel movie would look like. Hmm. And so in that way, it became kind of your average Marvel movie. It was one bad. But it wasn't something that I really felt great about. Like, e- even movies other people don't like. I mean, you, you can at least say, that, well, Doctor Strange, you know, it swung for the fences. It was, it was it, you know, I know you guys didn't much care for it. But, I mean, you know, that's a very different ending than just a bunch of people punching each other and shit. You know, or whatever. So, I felt like this one, I think if they had had maybe a more individualized voice, um, you know, I mean... <laughs> I don't know, today I'm like, hmm, I wonder if Terry Gilliam did this, which would have been ridiculous because it would have gone way over budget and then it would take four years and then he would end up suing the company because they wouldn't release the movie and he'd be angry and it would make for a great documentary. But anyway, <laughs> so, but I mean, I'm just thinking about somebody who has an extremely stylized vision like Terry Gilliam where I'm like, oh yeah, I could see that. Or just any number of up and coming directors. Um, you know, why not, uh, his name escapes me at the moment. J.C. Chandor? Uh, yeah, why not, you know? I, I read a really interesting uh, article last year, and it was um, a guy, he writes m- mostly about editing and in action films, and I think, I think it was Matthias Stork, might be saying great name if that's the guy. Anyway, um, but he was talking about how in the last few years he had seen a lot of like more prestige filmmakers, they would do um, things that had gotten Oscar interest or what, critically acclaimed, right? And then they would be tasked to do an action film. And it was sort of like a lot of times they were out of their depth. Now, he mentioned um, uh, Forrester uh, when he did uh, – you know, he did Monster's Ball and all that yeah. and Finding Neverland. But then he did uh, Quantum of Solace, which I'm the only person in the world who likes that Bond movie. Mm, but actually, I do. Do you really? Yeah. You're the literally first person. Like most people are like, I think we can all agree that one was a piece of shit. Like it's like a foregone yes. conclusion. No, I'm serious. Most people are like – Correct. I think you I'm know, sorry, it's, it's an article of faith. It automatically gets points for being the shortest Bond film ever made. Oh, that's interesting. Just saying. Like, me, that helps it. Well, for me, I just like that. Well, but I also enjoy it. Yeah, but anyway, but but uh, he had said – I don't think he was right about this movie, but in general, I think he had a point with the recent spate of action films where you'd get like a director who did drama. But, you know, uh, it's like – you're just in this case they're just filming a lot of scenes. So I'm like, well, hopefully we can edit together later. And this one I don't think was quite like that, but I still felt like we had like maybe somebody 
people who were doing used to doing drama, and so the best they could kind of imagine were like Marvel cliches. It, they they were good, they were sturdy, they were dependable, and I enjoyed them, but they never seemed to really go beyond, except for once in a great while. So. I, I would give it three stars, which is I'd recommend it, but I don't think I can go higher. Yep. So, right yeah. on. Mm-hmm. I'll go really quick and say okay. that I pretty much I enjoyed my time watching it. I wouldn't say that I'll be in a hurry to watch it again, but I definitely think it's better than half of the MCU. Oh, wow. Uh, at the least. Um as an adaptation goes, considering it was my first experience to actually read the source material, or I should say source inspiration, yeah. uh, for it was a lot of fun in that respect, so that's partly maybe also why I'm slightly forgiving for it. Uh, I do think some of the production was, if not the word amateurish, slightly uh, below Marvel's current output when it came to certain things, whether it's editing or sound mixing and whatnot. Um, and yes, I'll reverse that position if... When I watch it on a home video, it's You're somehow mind-blowingly different. You're but like, Son of even a if bitch, it was the like sound is perfect, improved, <laughs> it's not really going to change my opinion of the film. Okay. That was just kind of icing on the cake itself. So overall, um, I thought it was wonderfully casted and very punctuated by a lot of great moments. It just didn't quite hang in there for me. So I would give it two and a half out of five because in mm. general. I enjoyed it. I just think it had diminishing returns even while I was watching it. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Uh, I still felt like this fell right into the wheelhouse of the usual Marvel Cinematic Universe fair that I've come to love over the years. Um, this, in my rankings of these films, is in the bottom bottom half of it. So okay. uh, even though I give this a three and a half out of five, mm-hmm. um that's because I love most of the Marvel films and the superhero films. It's my maybe gangster. It would be the top genre, but probably mm-hmm. superhero is like on the cusp, if not yeah. right there or above it at this point. Um, I, I love what they did here with this film. I thought that this was right in line with most of the other films that they've done in this collection over the last decade. And I really enjoyed the performances in this film, and I know that we can say that time and time again with a lot of films, but um, I think Brie Larson was perfectly casted in this role. It's the one thing that MCU never fails at, pretty Uh, much is casting. casting. Uh, They did a wonderful job with her, especially coming off of an Oscar win, Mm -hmm. even though she's been in other films. This is her first major film since Room. Mm -hmm. So this was a great introduction into that. What a career Brie Larson has had, too. Very interesting going from the kind of character she was playing back when she was in the Edgar Wright film, um, Mm -hmm. uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and she was in uh, United States of Terror. She's yeah. the daughter. Oh, yeah. I and remember some other at the time I thought, oh, she's pretty good. Smaller yeah. roles that she's done, including Don John and other things like that. Mm. And mm. now she's become this sort of symbol uh, of this. Hope. this well, that's one way to look at it. But of, of, of this next generation of female actresses that are going to be, you know, looked at as the leaders of this of this really this generation of actors not just actresses Mm -hmm. you know people like her and someone like emily blunt Mm -hmm. who are clearly the class of this generation Mm -hmm. and brie larson is fantastic and i actually think and i'm not, not just her deciding to do this but the way that her character 
um, is played in this film is also really fabulous because mm-hmm. she's not a Tony Stark like character who's after overacting and that's the way that the character is going to be played throughout the entirety of this collection of films. She lets the character find out all this information without also seeming like not interested. Like it's, yes. it's, a, it's such a very interesting way to play a character. And obviously it's not just her deciding to do that, but I think she knocks that part of her character out of the park in most other things. Yeah, um, yeah definitely. The idea of having Samuel L. Jackson and Clark Gregg return, I really liked, even though I agree some of the Clark Gregg CGI was fucking awful. Mm-hmm. But I, I did like the idea too. I was I was I was happy to see them when I saw them. Yeah, and and, yeah. and they and it was nice to see them in a younger version and being a little more lifeful and having two eyes. So that was great. And I just really liked the way that this story progressed through. Even if this isn't the top of the Marvel heap, um, this is a worthy entry that I could watch anytime. And um, I'm glad that we just stacked another one onto that deck. Mm-hmm. So I was a fan of uh, Captain Marvel, and I'm uh, I'm glad it was the way it was. It's uh, Looking back on it, I think this will be a nice entry to happen before their mm. big, earth-shattering film that's going to come out later on this year. So. You know, yep. I, I do want to say really fast, though, you're absolutely right. I didn't talk about Brie Larson's performance, but she is really good. She's cocky, but not in a Tony Stark way. It's more like what I imagine uh, a fighter pilot would be, where it's like kind of laconic, sitting back a little. Which is funny because she's a fighter pilot. Exactly. <laughs> Boom. But, but Brie Larson is actually better at acting mm-hmm. and showing, unlike somebody like Robert Downey Jr., who right. has nothing when it comes to actually allowing his performance to tell the story like he needs to be an asshole which fits perfectly with that character yeah but at the same time he's got no shot at doing that really like he needs yeah. to be a dick to be <laughs> successful in films so they're like all right we got we got a character he's a dick uh you know give me robert downey jr i mean but kind, I, I agree i mean yeah. he doesn't have much range i agree no um but what he does he does well but yeah mm-hmm. brie larson i felt like there was this kind of like slightly amused slightly disbelieving look she had for a lot of it and like that kind of, hmm. and so she's it was she was thoughtful, like she was taking in the information, and then occasionally she'd say a little, hmm, okay. Even though um, know, I like that, even though she uh, apparently, and I'm assuming, is not a robot, um, her performance actually reminded me quite a bit of Ryan Gosling's performance in Blade Runner 2049. I could totally see that, actually. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that um, kind of. It's not that she was expressionless. She just had an expression that was no, she al- sort of constant. Almost. She allowed the action uh, happening, in, not the action sequences, but the action. Well, and both stories in the, in are f- about people who are trying to figure out their identity. Yeah. yeah. But sure. she, she allowed the action of the plot to dictate how her character reacted to certain situations instead of just, you know, being somebody like, I don't know, uh, Toby Maguire, Peter Parker, who's out, oh, I'm working for this, and I need to wear these glasses, and blah, 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 blah. Um, that's fine. Keep looking at me like that. Toby Maguire's a saint. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that third Spider-Man was one of the biggest pieces of shit ever, so. Uh, you didn't like those dance sequences with uh, Elizabeth Banks? Oh. Uh, I did really like, um, I did really like, uh, the way they made fun of that in the uh, Spider Verse film that was great. Yeah, that, that was, was super funny. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> I, no, I, I think uh, I, I, another thing is though 
there have been no indications that there's going to be any more Captain Marvel after Avengers Endgame. And I, I hope that's not the case because I'd like to see more of mm-hmm. Brie Larson, especially when she's not held down by an origin story type film. Yeah, not yeah. saying that this was uh, the, holding her down, no, but, but there's so much more you can do. Yeah, like we saw that Thor, who probably is nah, not the most popular, but you see where he started with his first film and where he is now. Yeah. Like that is a character that has completely evolved throughout it for yeah. the better. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know. At the end of Thor Ragnarok, that character was in a completely different place yeah. than where he was at the end of the first Thor. So mm-hmm. true, yeah. No, I agree. I, I would be interesting to see another Captain Marvel where there wasn't, you know, you know, like the burden of exposition, as they say, where you have to like explain everything. I think there will be because, like I said, this is the sixth sixth biggest opening yeah. of all time. That's pretty impressive. It is. I mean, I didn't think it was going to do that well. I knew it was going to do well. But I mean, that's no, it's, it's 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 pretty awesome. Yeah, that, I mean, it's it, already racking up a lot of you know. So. It's good. It's good for her. Good for mm-hmm. um, you know. We, we, it's we good saw, for the economy. Well, it's yep, factually true. Educational. But you've seen you've seen, and I know that these are like, nah, Captain Marvel. I guess is not like the one of the like main players when you think of Marvel. If you were an outsider, if you're thinking yeah. about the characters, but mm-hmm. somebody like Wonder Woman, I mean, the fact that that one that uh, movie was as big as it was, that Captain Marvel was as big as it was, like yeah. this mm-hmm. idea, this is almost like an R-rated superhero thing with uh, Deadpool, like that mm. that idea is over. Like you can have yeah. female-driven films and have them be successful. Yeah. So, or you can have a majority black cast and have it be hugely successful. You know, yeah. I mean, Oscar all, nominated, right? I mean, these yeah. are all things where it's like, well, nobody can do it until they do, and then yeah. it's like, oh, that's possible. Yeah. You know, and it, it has been exciting to see these kind of movies. You know, now it just needs to lead to more of it. So I concur. We'll, we'll see. see. So if you out there have any thoughts on Captain Marvel or the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because you know we're not going to talk about the next one in two months, <laughs> uh, feel free to always send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. So since I get to pick all the movies now, I also pick the film we're going to talk about on the next episode. Yeah! Uh, and that is J.C. Chandor's uh, film that's being released on Netflix, which is Triple Frontier. Yes. Uh, if you out there have no idea what this film is about, it centers around Ben Affleck and Oscar Isaac and some other characters as well. Um, who are, I don't know, because I haven't watched this film yet, but I believe they are uh, former Special Forces operatives. Yeah. And, or I just some, saw the something like that. this morning, and I believe that was basically the gist, yeah. Basically, this turns into a heist film for them trying to both fuck over the group that they previously were with, was also trying to make money. Um, and just that storyline, along with Ben Affleck, Oscar Isaac, mm-hmm. even somebody like, Charlie Hunnam, who I don't think is a good actor, but I think could fit in this kind of role. It's the kind of thing I could definitely see him doing. Sure. Uh, and then you throw J.C. Chandor in there directing this. Um, I'm on board, even if this isn't the best film ever. I'm I'm interested to see what it's going to be. And it's just another Netflix film that may be good. So mm-hmm. looking forward to that coming up on episode 186. So very much thank you to Dan for joining us um, and um, hopefully we'll be seeing you again sometime soon uh, for myself Dan and Nick Cheney thank you very much for listening to us here at Film Tank we'll be catching up with you again next time